What a great morning to be gathered together, to be able to lift our voices in praise to God. When we're singing that He is worthy, He is worthy, it's because Jesus has bridged this gap between the holiness of God and the humanness of you and me. He's bridged that gap with Jesus, and that's why we sing of Him. That's why we lift Him up, because He's worthy of our praise having closed that gap for us. Well, as Heartlanders, it's a privilege to gather here on campus as well as online. And by the way, if you're online, just want to encourage you, go ahead and go into the chat room, introduce yourself, maybe ask a question, let others interact with you there. After the service, join the connect room. You can be a part of that, ask your questions and get connected there after the service. If you're here on campus, you can connect after this service in the hub. So just across the atrium, uh, go visit with the folks that are there in the hub, introduce yourself, let them introduce themselves. It'd be great to help hear your story and know how to be a part of that uh, going forward. As we gather here, one of the gifts we get to give each other is our relationship with each other. So communities are really important to us. You can go to the Heartland website, and on that website, you can connect with a community that's already in motion. There's a characterization, a description of that community and the leadership. Or you could say, hey, I'm kind of being moved to start a community. I want to do that. And there's a way for you to generate a community there too. So go to it, take advantage of it, uh, make use of it, and engage. And let's see what it has for community for you, for community for Heartland through that portal. We're in a series called New Thing, a Heartland Manifesto. And it's a declaration of what's really most important to us as a church. And our desire is that it becomes a declaration of what's really resonant and most important in your own hearts. And as we began that series last week, the focus was on Jesus first. And the reason is because He is first. It is about Jesus and because of Jesus. It's in response to Jesus that we even have any interest in God at all. That we have a connection with Him that takes us from a place of death, if you will, to a place of life. And that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. So today our focus moves to the good news about Jesus and the good news that is Jesus. And in that sense, good news is the very thing most of us need almost every day. I don't know about you, but I, I, can, I can be experiencing bad news in my sleep. And I can wake up and I can wonder, what do I do with this thing I've been thinking about during the night? The thing that kept me awake. What do I do with that? Whether it's fears uncertainties, doubt, unforgiveness, whatever that might be, but it's there. And I'm wondering, what do I do with that? Well, what Jesus would offer is, I know what to do with that, Jesus says. And I want to connect with you in, in such a way that what I have to offer you in life and in good news connects with what you're experiencing in your bad news and your darkness. And I want to bring you light. And that's what he does. So when the scriptures talk about this, they'll use the phrase gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. And as we experience it today, what we're experiencing is Jesus makes personal this big idea of his good news, and he touches your life and he touches my life. So it isn't just Jesus first as a big idea. It's Jesus first in where I need life and where I need good news in the place of my bad news. 
So as we continue in this series, we want to be making a declaration about the priority of Jesus and the priority of his good news for us. And Shibu is going to come today and continue this conversation about new thing, a Heartland Manifesto. So when he comes, give him a welcome as we continue on this morning in this series. Way to go, Heartland. Morning, you living room people, also out there in internet land. Have you ever been hit with a baseball, like on the shin or anywhere, or in the face? So 2006, Royals, Red Sox, Javi Lopez has been traded from the, I don't know, from the who, to the Red Sox, and never has a trade deadline move affected my life so personally. Because Javi Lopez is a left-handed hitter, uh, and I'm sitting on the dugout, two rows back, the best seats I've ever had. I'm with my buddy Dan Sager and Chris Lang and Mark Nelson, and, and the four of us are sitting there, and Javi slaps a ball that just is going foul immediately, screaming over the crowd, headed to my section. And so me and hundreds of others stand up to say, we got this, you know, ready to, I'm like second from the aisle. I'm ready to leapfrog Dan and jump into the aisle, club a kid to get this ball. Like I've never had a foul ball before. I'm ready for it. And so we get in the ready posture and I realize that this ball is spinning and it's, it's coming to my section. And, and mo most importantly, it's coming to my seat and it's, it's moving. I can, I feel like I can see the seams on the ball. And as it spins 15 feet or so above the crowd, it's coming. And at the last split second, I go from, I'm catching this ball to, this ball is going to hit me. And I go into defense mode. Like I, it goes from this to this. The ball flies through these two fingers. These are blue for the next four days, these two fingers. It flies through these two fingers and lands right here. Trucking at about 75, 85 miles an hour is what people tell me. I immediately hit the ground, like I'm in my seat, like I'm grabbing my head, trying to figure out what has just happened. And uh, everyone around me gasps, I hear it. And my buddy Dan, the ball lands in his feet and he picks it up and he's like, yeah. <laughs> and he looks over and sees me slumped and quickly tends to me. The woman behind me has put her drink on my eye because I guess like a big hematoma has formed immediately. And she's like, do you know where you are? I'm like, I'm at Kauffman Stadium. What's your name? Shibu. This guy thinks his name is Shibu. And they're like freaking out. It's like my friends are like, no, that's his name. He's okay. He knows where he is. I haven't blacked out, but I have certainly been knocked out for the count. Like I am down. I, can't, I don't know what. So within a few minutes, I'm in the bowels of Kauffman Stadium being tended to. They're just doing all the tests to make sure I've had a mild concussion. Um, and so the next day I, uh, I go to the eye doctor to get checked out because it has, it has really kind of broken some blood vessels within the eye. And it's kind of a, it's a scary moment. Um, and, uh, and I go to the eye doctor and I walked into Dr. McDonald's office here in South Olathe and he says, I saw you get hit. Wait, why didn't you come over? He goes, yeah, I was a section next to you. I was like, why didn't you come over? 
I didn't know it was your eye. And so what I'm about to show you is uh, what I looked like for three weeks after the incident. This is a little graphic because all the white has turned to red in my left eye. So here's the picture of me getting hit with a baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I had to take that picture next to the please beware sign just because it was too ironic. So this was like, it was, it was late July, kind of trading deadline, but like you were starting to get to Halloween season and it's like, I didn't need a costume. You know, I was the costume. All right, you can take that picture down if it's not down already. Scars, right, wounds, like uh, if you could zoom in on that picture, which we won't, rest assured, but there are actually other scars on this. This eye has been through a lot. There's a, a, a set of five stitches that are here from when I was setting a pick in high school and a guy's shoulder collided with a big man. <laughs> His shoulder collided with my eye. And this eye has been through a lot and there's some scars to prove it. Now scars is what I wanna talk a little bit about today. Scars represent something that's healed. It's a good thing to have a scar because it means that something has repaired itself within your body. We, we all have scars. Scar stories are some of the worst and the best to tell. What scar do you have and what story does it tell? And yeah, there are real scars, but, but there are emotional scars too. The failed relationship, the one that makes you wonder if you're even dateable. The business that took a nosedive that makes you wonder if you'll succeed in anything. Some of us have have some wounds that are self-inflicted. Like we don't like us and there's a self-hatred and we become our own punching bag. Some, some of us have anger wounds that cause us to create wounds for others because we lash out. Today's story is, is a person with plenty of scars. It's in Luke chapter eight. Uh, he's been given up on, he's physically pained and he's in in an embarrassing, awful state. We, we actually don't know where to file being like North American people. We don't know where to file stories like the one we're about to hear today. Uh, it's a haunted house type scene. It's scary. There's a young man. Uh, well, he was young at one point and at some point, uh, something happened and his life has just begun to unravel. Something happened along life's journey, some choices perhaps. He doesn't remember exactly when, but something took over his priorities. He was not himself. He was kicked out of his home. He was kicked out of the town because the home wasn't enough to be within the city limits was not okay for this man. And they say he was possessed by demons. Condemned to live far away because he won't stop screaming. He won't stop hurting himself or others. They tie him up with chains to try to keep him bound and he just snaps them off. He didn't used to be that strong. He didn't used to be this way. And there's, there's a look in his eyes. There's a look in his eyes and people can tell that something else is in control of him. It's not, it's not completely dissimilar uh, to you or I, controlled by my anger unhealthily motivated by money, obsessing with worry, captivated by someone else's life. And because of his choices, something in his life is now a raging firestorm. And he literally, this is where it gets R-rated. He cannot keep his clothes on. Like he rips his clothes off. He rips the chains off. He cannot be contained. He is naked howling guy condemned to live in a cemetery. 
Like that's the only place they, pu- they pushed him out to the margins and said, you live here in the cemetery. His parents said goodbye to a child they no longer knew. Goodbye was hard, but not as hard as living with him. So you can just feel the pain of this guy's single life. It says this in Luke chapter eight. I wanna read this to you. You'll see it on the screens as well. They, Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is where this man is from. It's across from the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him. It had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So this guy now lives in a cemetery off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's the first thing that Jesus and the disciples see when they pull ashore. Naked howling guy with sharp rocks. It's not exactly like a great come visit the Gerasenes ad campaign. It's a scary moment. And the disciples are probably like, why are we getting out of the boat? (laughs) Why do we enter places like this? Jesus comes here and it's not a good place for anyone to be, let alone a Jewish rabbi. It's a place filled with people that he should not be associating with. The region of the Gerasenes is filled with different ethnicities, people that were unclean, different religious traditions, unclean people. And God's people actually have this deep-seated racism within them that Jesus continually confronts. says, this is not okay to treat people who talk different and look different in this manner. With vile hatred is what God's people treated the people of the Gerasenes and Samaritans like. As Jesus gets off the boat, the guy makes a beeline for Jesus. And this should make you nervous. It does me. It's not natural. Immediately, we now are observing a supernatural moment. There is the natural world, things that we can see, touch, and feel. Then there's a, what I believe, what we believe, a supernatural world, something that's above, outside the natural world. And we get to observe like a supernatural interaction. There is the disciples in the boat. They are natural. There is the man, but the man is possessed. And Jesus, fully human and fully God, tends to this supernatural in this moment. It's weird. You should be a little weirded out right now. I I am in reading this and, and studying this passage. But this is our God, Jesus, associating with people he shouldn't. Jesus is for the furthest out person, the naked howling guy who lives in a cemetery, the person who's been written off continually, marginalized by society, the people who have written themselves off too. That's who Jesus comes to be with, eating meals, having conversations, meeting their needs. And he comes to restore the sick, He is, this is Jesus' nickname, a friend of drunks and uh, gluttons. Like that's his nickname. That's what they called him. Jesus, pure, innocent Jesus is at the party that you and I deem unmentionable. 
Now, he's not partaking. He is not drunk. He is not gorging himself at the buffet table. But he's there. And he's their buddy. What happens next is an interaction between Jesus and the man and the demons within the man. And the demons say, we are many. There's not just one of us. And they beg Jesus not to send them to the abyss. I, I don't know. I don't know what the abyss is. Is it from whence they came? Is it a different dark place? Is it hell? Who, who knows what the abyss is? Scholars are at odds about that. But they make a request not to go back there. That must mean it's a painful place, even for a demon. And they ask, they specifically ask, there's pigs over there. 2,000 pigs on the hillside. Would you send us into the pigs? And Jesus, oh, Jesus grants their request and, and sends them from the man into the pigs. The pigs get into a frenzy. They're on a hillside and they go crashing in this chaotic frenzy into the sea. All 2,000 dead. The farmers, the pig farmers watching their livelihood disappear. Here's how it reads. I just want to read it to you. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them to go to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. <laughs> when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. All right, time out. Pause. That's insane, right? <laughs> what just happened? This guy possessed by a demon did not picture being in this position, but now he's healed, and he didn't picture a life of self-destruction. In the same ways that no one plans for self-destruction, no couple plans on falling apart when they set out on a marriage journey, no friends plan for the act of betrayal that leads to this severe distance. But these things happen and things feel hopeless. And in that moment, when things feel most hopeless, that's where God does his best work. When things feel most hopeless, that's when God does his best work. In the hopeless situation for the furthest out person, when you're out of a job and there's no pings back on the resumes you've submitted, when you and your spouse are miles apart and there's no chance of the distance being closed, when you and your friend's relationship has turned so bitter that you wish to never see them again, it's that moment that Jesus shines brightest in. That's when for this man, this demon-possessed man, Jesus speaks. His voice cuts through all the noise and speaks to the spiritual forces. He speaks to naked howling guy and says to the evil spirits, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And with authority, Jesus speaks and something changes. The demons leave. For you and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the darkness is for you, but Jesus speaks directly to it. He speaks to you who have written off your dreams. He speaks to you who have given up. He speaks to the addiction, to the self-loathing, to the disbelief, to the hatred, to the divisiveness. He speaks to those things and he says, out, get out. 
and he calls us to new life. Jesus can do this for us. He longs for you and I to come to him with extreme honesty so that he could extremely provide. Like, like if you're going to hold something back, then you may not experience all that he has for you. But when you come and say, this is my need, and it's pinpointed, and it's bulleted, (laughs) there's a lot of them, he meets every single one of those needs. In this interaction, we see who Jesus is for. He's for the furthest out person that everyone has written off. The person that won't darken the doors of the church. The person who's been marginalized, that's who Jesus is for. And I want to pause and just tell you, church, online, in the room, that this is who we are as a church. For 33 years, we've been about the person that's furthest out. We've always been that way. For the person that has written themselves or God or others off. Craig McElvain, our founding pastor, used to say, if we have to wear pink suits and like play oboes to like get people to come to church, (laughs) then let's wear pink suits and play oboes. Let's do it. Thankfully, there were no pink suits on stage today. That, That has not happened. But what we have learned increasingly so through this pandemic is that the gospel travels through relationships from one person to another. This is God's plan for saving the world. Is that the good news that everyone's needs are cared for and tended to, that news travels through relationships. And the good news is that God loves you and your neighbor, all 6.594 billion of them. And his plan on getting his message of love and hope and rescue, restoration to all of them, actually hinges on you and I. There's no easy button for God to say, boom, everyone's got access to, to my power. Everyone feels love now, boom. No, he, he uses you and I to carry out that plan. Sent to places we work, live, study, and play to be good news to the many places of bad news around us. I've been asking this question just in my neighborhood. We're having fire pits and uh, there's unchurched people, there's churched people. I'm just like, what, what's the bad news around me? What's the bad news that I interact with that God wants to be good news for? for the person experiencing loss, the person experiencing pain, rejection, all of those things. Now, here's the moment that that is stunning to me in this story. The guy's clothed, okay? He's healed. He's good. Like, he's normal. Everyone's freaking out because that has happened, because they didn't think that possible. That which was impossible has now been made possible, and they're freaking out. They've also lost their livelihood with 2,000 pigs, and they are, they are freaking out about this person who is speaking supernaturally to evil spirits and causing them to leave people and enter, other, and enter other animals. They're scared by that. And so they beg Jesus, right? Jesus, you need to like, please leave. We don't know anything about you except what we've seen. It's not cool. Please leave. And Jesus, like he kind of obeyed the demons. He submitted to their request. He, he submits again to the people's request. And so he gets back in the boat. He's been there for all of 10 minutes, perhaps. He's done one miracle and he's back in the boat with the disciples and they're pushing off to sea. And that's when this guy is hanging onto the boat. Naked howling guy, now fully clothed, is hanging onto the boat. And now he's the one begging. He's begging Jesus. I can't go back there. I can't go home. 
want to be with you. You have saved my life. I, I need to be with you in the boat. And it's this, this moment where he's like, in my mind, just trying to climb in the boat. And Jesus says no. I don't know where to file that one. I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's hardly believable. Luke 8, 38 to 39 says this, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He does it. He listens to Jesus. He submits to Jesus's like, no, you're not getting on the boat, bud. I need you to go home. To those to those parents who kicked you out. To those townspeople that chained you up. I need you to go tell them what's happened to you, bud. And something in that moment is stirring enough, is important enough for this guy to just go do. We find that the, the Gerasenes have a, a region called the Decapolis. Ten cities make up the Decapolis. And this guy goes home. And before you know it, all ten cities have heard about Jesus. The next time Jesus comes, which is just a few weeks or months later, he comes back to the same spot, and there's not a naked, howling guy waiting for him. But there is a crowd of people that have heard that he healed their friend and that can't wait to hear more. They brought their sick, and they're depressed, and they're anxious, and they brought all of their needs to the shore now. You and I have, uh, have these scars, right, that we opened with. And what I, what I want to tell you today is that these scars, naked howling guy carries these scars back home. He was like hurting himself, and now he can say, you, you guys remember, these are where you chained me up, and this is where I was cutting myself. Like those wounds didn't disappear. But they're there. They're scars now that are a testament to this man, Jesus, who healed me. Just like these scars exist here. There's one here from when my mom was holding a pencil and I jumped onto her when I was four years old. There's a piece of pencil lead <laughs> right here. My mom doesn't believe me because she doesn't remember it, but for some reason I remember it. And there's the most important scars that still exist on this day at the right hand of the Father, there are scars that Jesus bears. They haven't been like cleaned up. They haven't been made like a new person, but he carries these scars and these scars on his hands and feet. And even wherever the crown of thorns was pressed in, 
These scars represent that he's, he's a wounded healer. He's the first wounded healer calling this man from the Gerasenes to be a wounded healer. He's calling you and I to say, would you, would you tell the world how I've healed you? Now that, that may leave you in a couple places today. You're, you might be listening and you're quite aware of the wound that you have. We would love to step into that wound with you and pray with you and begin the healing journey for that. There are others of us who like, we, we know the scars there and we know how God has healed us. And I think the question that, uh, I've crafted this just final sentence and it's, will you beg Jesus to get into the safety of the boat? Or do you hear him sending you to bring your story of hope to others? It's a question I want to just pray for us and pray to close our service with. Heavenly Father, we do carry wounds. We carry scars, things that you have healed us from, that you're healing us from, and things that some of us are just now naming as a wound. And so I pray for my friends that we would Feel your healing today through an act of prayer, through an act of confession, through reaching out for help, that we would receive healing, and that what you've given us for 33 years is the DNA of our church to be for the furthest out, that we would carry your message of love and restoration to a world that's hurting and needs it. Show us the people to take our message of hope too. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, well, uh, I was hoping we'd feel better than this right now. I'm <laughs> just being honest as a communicator, like, okay, we kind of lived in the valley of some painful stuff, but here's, here's the victory, here's the hope. Like, if you're, if you're experiencing something, the healing, the healing journey is not like a fun one, but it's the right one to step into and say, I got this, I got this owie, to use my two-year-old's language. I need help. Let us help you with that. And for some of us to say, okay, I got a story to tell. I might need to work on that story, but I'm going to look for people that need that specific story. It's funny because there's a, it's just a right now thought coming to me, but there are people that I'm connected to intimately who have been hit with a baseball at a major league baseball game. My friend Lori comes to mind. Lori been through like six surgeries because of what happened to her and other people. It's like we're this little fraternity of we've been hit with a baseball. Here's what the team gave us an extra, extra large David Jesus t-shirt. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but we are connected because of something that happened to us. And so I wonder what your connection is because of the life and the story God has given you. All right. That's my attempt to end on a <laughs> Be blessed. Have a great day. Let's hope the Chiefs beat the Chargers by 35 points. See ya.